warmest of greetings to you and welcome to Happily Ever Teaching, where we help you enthrall your learners in every subject under the sun using the best teaching method known to science, storytelling. To do this, we feature special guest educators who are passionately keen for your children to become amazing and successful human beings. I am storyteller Chip Cahoon, and with me today is... Hi, I'm Helen. I'm a teacher from Buckinghamshire, currently teaching exceptionally in one children. Hi, I'm Rob. I work in Key Stage 2, and I've got experience working from every year group from year 3 up to year 6. And we're very pleased to have you, our listener, with us as we explore personal, social, health and emotional education with a legend from ancient Greece. So for all the fun and effectiveness of story-led learning, let's don our finest hats, sprinkle some fairy dust and hang tight to our magic carpets as we dive into this week's story. Persephone is excited when Hades offers her the chance to be a queen, but she has to leave before saying goodbye to her mother, Demeter. And since Demeter is the Greek goddess who controls the rain, the consequences are disastrous. Demeter was heartbroken. She had lost her love. She felt sad and angry and confused and sick all at the same time. And she stopped singing. Because Demeter knew that Zeus had let Hades marry Persephone, she was upset with him too. She stopped doing her job and didn't move the clouds around the world anymore. This meant that all the clouds began to fill up the sky, making it harder for the sun's beams to reach the ground. And that meant all the plants, like grapes, gooseberries, barley and pomegranates, began to die. No new plants grew in any of the farms around the world. The people of the land got hungry, and their tummies rumbled so loud that Zeus could hear them from his home at the top of Mount Olympus. And if you and your young learners want to see if the world recovers from the effects of Demeter's grief, you can download our sister podcast, Fables and Fairy Tales, or search our website, epictales.co.uk, for The Dance of Persephone. There you'll find a video of me telling the story that you can share with your children. And if you sign up as an epic educator, you'll also get a copy as an ebook or paperback illustrated by the hugely talented Heather Zeta Rose, as well as the full audiobook for you to download at any time, and even some tips for telling the story yourself. Right now, though, let's begin our discussion with Helen and Rob here by asking, folks, did you find this story to be a pomegranate of pleasure? <laughs> I really liked it. I'm. I, I really enjoy history, and this story is one one of the Greek ones which has kind of stuck with me. It's one that I've remembered, so it's good to see a a, a new version of it. It reworded in a different way. It kind of brings back memories of when I was at school reading it. Mm. Yeah, if you're anything like me, it is one of those that that sticks with you. But you maybe don't remember everything. Um, they're like little bits that you you maybe forget, and I think that's probably because 
I don't even think the ancient Greeks remembered the whole story all of the time because there are so many <laughs> subtle different variations yeah, yeah. Of, of the same story. Uh, how about you though, Helen? Yeah, I really like, I always like the Greek myths. And I, again, like Rob, I like different versions of them. And this is a, a really nice version for younger children, I think. it's Because um, sometimes mm. the Greek myths can get quite complicated. Um, mm. But I like this version for younger children. And I like the way the myths and things sort of use stories to teach about aspects of the world. Like this one is obviously mm. about the seasons and weather. And, things. and so, yes, I really enjoyed this and the range of characters in it. Yeah, um, well, we, we have to give kudos to Janina Vigers, our epic storyteller and friend who penned the original draft of this story. And I think what you've hit on there as well, Helen, is the fact that there was a time, I know we say now that science has shown that storytelling is the best form of teaching, but there was actually a time when science and storytelling were almost synonymous. Because if you think of science being a way of observing the world and noting what you discover and, and how things work, back in those days, that's exactly what they were doing with their myths like this. They were looking out at the world, seeing that the seasons changed, trying to work out why. And well, of course, it made total sense. The uh, daughter of the goddess of the harvest had just been taken down into the underworld by the, <laughs> the king of the underworld. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. <laughs> it does. Let's have a look at the PSHE elements of this. Are there other uses for this story, other morals you were detecting? I picked up a couple of things. Talking, uh, One was about talking about sharing mm. and uh, not sharing things necessarily, but sharing people. Mm thinking about your friendship groups and how you don't just have to stick to one particular best friend. You can have other friends. You can have other people who are important in your lives in the way that Persephone had both Demeter and uh, Hades yeah. as important people. She had to kind of, she worked out she needed to share herself between them and talk about in class how it's okay to play with different children at playtime. It doesn't mean that you're not friends with somebody else you are still mm. friends but you can choose to share your time with who you like absolutely that's a really good link rob um thank you because especially <laughs> um well just thinking especially the age groups when you get to sort of end of key stage one beginning of key stage two that's when that's when it starts to be a bit oh they don't want to play with me and i don't really want to play with them and is that okay at the moment and yeah and also ex exploring the feelings of when your friend actually wants a bit of time with someone else as Demeter sort of had had some time away from Persephone, how that feels, but how actually it's it's okay. Yeah, I'm glad you've both picked up on that, really, because that was one of the essential things that Yanina and I wanted to make sure we got into this tale, because I think there are too many versions of the story, especially that I remember from when I was at school, that kind of make Hades out to look like the bad guy yeah. in the story. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it concentrates so much on Demeter and Persephone's side of things. Whereas, you know, the ancient Greeks themselves would have been far less condemning of Hades for that. Yeah. And Persephone was seen as queen of the underworld. This, this wasn't something done entirely against her will. Um, although this was the time of ancient Greece, so there would have been an element of arranged marriage slash 
coercion about it, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but still, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the point is that um, Hades was not seen as bad. There, there's a bit of a, a more modern tendency, I think, to associate characters from the underworld with evil, because that's what we do yes. with um, the Judo-Christian religions, isn't it? If, if you come from down below, if you come from hell, then 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 you're bad. Um, but that was not quite as clear for um, the ancient Greeks. And we wanted to, yes, show the the, the tough decisions that Persephone had to take between having a life as a queen and leaving her mother behind. And that, that's really what this story is about, the choice of you know who she's spending her time with, which is a choice we all have to face, even as adults, I think. Right. I, but I mean, life as a queen or daughter of a goddess, is, I mean... It's not like she went back to being a servant or anything. Um, Before you move on, can you explain a little bit how you might actually explore that with your children? How how you might explore this this moral? Talking about share, I would uh, I would link it to thinking about the cohort I've got at the moment. The fact that you don't just have to play with one particular person Hmm. and explore. I would do it probably probably in the afternoon after lunch break and just sit down in a circle and talk about feelings and how we feel and how other people feel. I, I would definitely make reference to the story and I wouldn't say, you, Fred, you are not playing with Jack, whatever. Those are made up names. They're not names of children in my class. But just Good to... Disclaimer. <laughs> just to put it slightly out of context but still make it relatable because mm. my children are old enough to pick up the that they can infer the nuances of that yeah and it it just kind of like just as a as a reminder i wouldn't do it in a like just to help them to coach them not as a you are not doing the right thing by gotcha. not playing with them but just come on we can all so sort of p- putting the question to them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And kind of, I guess, like, linking it to, like, bringing personal experience as well. So if I sit next to one teacher in the staff room, that doesn't mean that I don't like another teacher, that kind of thing. Just, like, make it really obvious to them that it's... I do that. I do that <laughs> in my class. I talk about other colleagues and say, well... I don't do this or we do do this. And the children quite like that because they think, oh, you're actually friends. <laughs> <laughs> this is, um, for, for those who don't know, Helen and Rob are actually um, teaching at the same school. So I think they are offering thinly veiled apologies to each other for their behaviour by the sounds of it. <laughs> their behaviour yeah, in the when, staff when room. Rob didn't eat lunch with me the other day, I just wasn't sure what to make of it. I think we... <laughs> it's okay. I'm still friends with you. Really good to know. See that that makes me feel better. I know that we, we can have lunch together another day. You know, I was thinking in terms of um, what I've been talking about and linking it to the story. Um, could the children almost give Demeter some advice about when mm. she's feeling, how she's feeling about being left, and actually how she can cope with it, and how she can go and find someone else to spend time with uh, when she can't spend time with Persephone and use the story to help them to draw out some good ideas about how to deal with the situation. Yeah, so that that would be uh, an idea for after you've told the story then, mm. I guess. So there are a couple of different yeah. approaches to it. Fab. What was your uh, other PSHE then? Yeah, so it was, kind of, it was kind of linked, but it was more kind of aimed at 
like upper key stage two, year six kind of age, and to do a transition. Because Persephone goes from one place above Hades and Mm -hmm. she has to move to another place. And she's kind of like, oh, but I didn't get to say goodbye to so-and-so. And as you're in year six, moving into secondary school, you might find that you're not with the same group of friends in secondary school and you've got to make new friends, meet new people and things like that. So just kind of begin to build them up to that. Mm. This is what might happen or this probably will happen, this is how you can deal with it, and this is the emotions you might feel, and it's okay to feel those emotions. And luckily, compared to Persephone, we have lots of ways of communicating and staying in touch with people. Yeah. Whereas it was a bit harder for her to... I I know your parents are different to school friends, but um, (laughs) staying in touch with your people that you like was a bit trickier in ancient Greece. It was, which is bizarre for someone who's literally got the word phone in their yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> How about you then, Helen? What um, PSHE have you uncovered for the ages four to seven? I thought this story would be a really good opportunity to talk about people that we love mm. and people that are important in our lives because it's so important to have just people around you that love you and that you love back. And I... In the early years, I think it's a, a great time to spend time with children talking about that. Who's important? Mm. Who makes them feel good? Who looks after them um, and help them to feel that security? So I thought this story would be a good way to to start that discussion and and have a bit of a PH, PSHE lesson about that and talk about. And it's a good opportunity as well in that sort of safe space. If you set it in yeah. a safe space to talk about when people have left. You know, when mm. when people have gone, maybe um, parents have have split up, or maybe a grandparent, or even a parent has died. And I think this story is a good way in to talk about that and yeah. to discuss that with children, and maybe even bring in, um, ask parents to send in photos. Um, on an early years wall, it's quite common to see pictures of um, children with their families around them, mm. um, and start to think about their worlds because it very much starts in sort of reception in nursery reception age. You start with their world, <laughs> yeah. the children's world, and who's important to them, and then branch outwards. So I thought that would be a good, a good activity. Oh, that's beautiful. And then my second one I had was all about feelings. There's some very good feelings adjectives to start to talk about with children. I picked out this one. I think she felt sad and angry and confused and sick all at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I thought that would be a good a good way into to start to explore some wider feelings than just happy and sad with the children. Mm. And something I've done before is use emoticons, look at faces, real faces as well, of people feeling these different feelings. And yeah. there's quite a range of feelings throughout this story for the different characters. So you could pick one character, I would suggest, um, and read the story and pause at key moments and, and talk to the children about how do you think they're feeling. And again, use the, use the emoticons for different feelings words to get beyond happy and sad because that's where children will often start happy. They're feeling happy, they're feeling sad. Um, mm-hmm. Start to explore those different emotions, use photographs of, ch- of people as they're feeling those emotions and get the children as well through their, um, through their faces and their bodies. How do you think your face would look if you were feeling this way? What would your body look like? Would you be slumped over? Would you be standing up tall? And you could go through the whole story if, if you wanted, if you were so inclined, or just choose a part of the story to do that with. Yeah. 
Would you, I mean, we might be heading a little bit more back into key stage two now, the the 7 to 11 age range, but would you start to look at the other names for those emotions? So you mentioned feeling angry, sad, um, etc., all at the same time, which is essentially a description of grief, isn't it? Would you go as far as labeling it as grief? I definitely would with the like the upper key stage two. Mm. You kind of you have to be careful, and you have to know your cohort as well to yeah. explore it safely. If any children have been through personal grief, then you might not want to bring it up again for them. Or it depend mm. it, again. It depends on the children you've got. They may be comfortable dealing with it. They may not be. I think it, what Helen's described as well is also a really good idea for um, children who have difficulty recognizing emotions in other children yes yeah um and also for themselves as well just so that they can see what other people look like and what that means that they're feeling and how they should approach and deal with them when they're feeling like that yeah which is something um i remember you saying rob um, when we were exploring no tigers on the table the last story that we had yeah, uh, on the podcast. Yeah. So that's one of the great things about stories. And I think if if a child is listening to this story and they have felt as Demeter felt or, or even felt as Persephone slash Hades or even Zeus felt, you know, because Zeus has quite a, um, a lot of feelings in this story as well. I think they will know. I think they will um, empathise and, and start to get what's going on. Um, so you don't necessarily need to um, go into the conversation in detail and, and draw them, draw out their past experiences, put them on the spot. Um, it can be a way of just letting them know that they are not alone. Um, there is other understanding in the world. And you as the teacher slash storyteller in that moment become a source of that understanding and empathy. Um, and it helps them to feel more closer to you, more trusting of you um, and feel that they are in a safe space when they are in the classroom with you. Does yeah, that bear absolutely. up with your experience? Uh, yeah. I agree completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> awesome. Obviously as a, as a storyteller, I go in and, and I, I start sharing stories with children who I've never seen before, probably will never see again. And yet very quickly uh, I have, you know, a lot of children trusting me with a, a lot of stories that they want to share back and, um, you know, very willing to participate in workshop ideas that I, I then go on to do with them. And it sometimes amazes me that, you know, I've, I've come in, I'm, I'm a complete stranger. Um, and yet after a couple of stories, they are pretty much ready to do anything that I say. Um, so it just makes me think, you know, if, if this, this is something that teachers can do, then that, that's got to be a help surely when, when you're coming yeah. back to these children day after day. Yeah, I think it allows, like you said, you can explore the the emotions and the ideas safely. It kind of it's a step removed from them. But as you said, they can still empathise with it and they go, oh, yeah, I recognise how Demeter is feeling. I feel the same. And, yeah. uh, and then they might feel more comfortable sharing that with you mm. as well. I mean, the, yeah. um, I find in the early, early years of my class in, Perception year one, the children are very quick to share. They're very quick to share their experiences, but not necessarily at a deep level. Does that make sense? So they'll, they will yes, say, yeah. Oh, my, my dog died like mm. yesterday, but it was actually two years ago. So they're very, they're very quick to, to share those kind of things, which mean a lot to them, but 
when it comes to maybe the deeper things um not so much sometimes i'll find they share them with their friends after these these kind of activities so you might you might overhear them talking to their friends so um I had a little girl a few years ago actually I, it was her sister and their dad died when this little girl was about 3 and we'd done some stories in the classroom i can't remember what the story was I just remember they were colouring. They were just doing, this was when she was in reception, so they were colouring on the floor afterwards and she was just chatting about her dad to her friend. And I didn't inter- interfere. I just noted mm. that actually she was she was chatting about it. Uh, yeah. So stories bring us closer. Mm. That's all we have time for today, folks. If you try out any of these ideas, or if you'd like us to help you teach a topic you are soon to cover with your young learners, let us know on social media using at Teach Happily, or leave us a review using your favourite podcast app. Please also share this podcast with your colleagues and help us start a story-led revolution in classrooms around the world so children everywhere can learn in a way that's effective, memorable and enjoyable all at the same time. Tomorrow, Persephone and her family will help us teach English. But right now, it only remains for us to say cheerio and we hope to hear your story soon. So, cheerio! Cheerio. And we we hope hope to hear hear your your story story soon. soon!